the R&B Solutionist Thinking Podcast Series for the creative minds with a passion for possibility. Hosted by Bruce Whitfield. So what is the difference between the gold medal winner, the silver medal winner, and the bronze medal winner? Often, it's a nanosecond. Often, it's a moment in time. How do you get that extra advantage as a professional sports person? Or if you're a weekend golfer, how do you improve your weekend game to go from 100 to 90? Sure, you can practice all the hours that your day might have, or you could just train your eyes. Dr. Cheryl Calder is a sports scientist, a performance coach, and as a young Springbok hockey player, she played 50 times for South Africa at least, she figured out that she had something that her competitors didn't have. She saw things differently, just like some professional sports people who've had some of her coaching have done as well. He shot. Hernandez. Oh, interception. We know what's going to happen now. Brian Habana, quickest rugby player on the planet, doesn't even need all his speed. Look at the smile. Look at the results. England will play South Africa in the Rugby World Cup final. So Brian Habana was, and maybe still is, a client of Dr. Cheryl Calder. Today's solutionist thinker, somebody who literally does see things differently. Do you remember that moment, that I Rugby do. World Cup moment, 2007? I do, because I, I believe that was defining in the World Cup. That try and that game actually won us the World Cup. Explain it to me, what happened? Explain the play, if you remember it so well. Yeah, I, I see they've just actually said that Habana is just retired and they call him the intercept king. Um, we actually used to train those skills. So I believe that you can train to see things quicker, and the quicker you see it, the sooner you make a decision, and the more time you have to make a decision. So we used to literally train that every day. I could see it coming. You know, it's it's almost seeing things before it happens, and and Brian had that ability. Um, if you if you watch the video, you'll see with ease how he just takes the ball, intercepts. It's not it's not that he was physically yes he was the quickest rugby player, but you've still got to see it early to get there physically get there. Is that the thing that defines the difference between exceptional sports people and really exceptional sports people? Is that tiniest bit of advantage, yeah. Brian's ability to see a nanosecond before something that a split second later he would have got flattened by a center in yeah. that particular moment. I always talk about the great and the greatest. So you can be great, but you need something special to be the greatest. I mean, Brian Banner was the greatest in that World Cup. And um, the previous World Cup, I worked with Johnny Wilkinson. He also won Player of the Year. So he was also the greatest in, in 2003. And they were both super trainers in Arjum. They had a work ethic beyond what other players had. Take me back to your hockey playing days because people could see that you were different. You had a different skill set. You were probably as good physically at stopping the ball, at managing the ball, but you could make plays faster than anybody else. You just had an edge. And that wasn't taught. You had that. Yeah. I and mean, if you really think about was taught or trained. So when, when, when I was a kid, I used to always challenge myself. Um, how do you do that? How do you see that? And I mean, I used to play a tennis game. I, you remember in the days, garage doors were sort of staggered. And I used to play the tennis ball against that. And obviously it never came back where you thought it would come back. And I think in doing that and many other games, um, you would train that ability to read exactly where the ball was going and, and respond accordingly. Um, and I think that starts developing that um, the ability. It's called visual recognition, the ability to see something early. 
anything, you know, if you're driving your car or if you're on the sports field or wherever you are, if you pick up something early, it gives you more time to respond. It feels like you have more time on the ball, more time to execute, and that's really what it is. So growing up in Bloemfontein, as you did, and playing, no doubt, schoolgirl hockey and rising to the top of your game to represent South Africa about 50 times in a career, long Springbok career, at what point did you realize that you had an advantage? I probably did as a kid already, as a young kid, um, and I had this yearning to um, play for South Africa. It's what I wanted to do, and my brother thought I was crazy, but, I mean, I had this inherent something in me, uh, which, which I really can't explain, but deep back somewhere I knew that, that I did things differently. And I was pretty um, shy and introverted, so, you know, I wasn't this crazy bombastic person who used to just go out and try things but I I had this ability to just quietly go about and do things better than other people and it got to a point where obviously we were isolated and I thought I really would like to see how I compare to other players in the world to the best players in the world and that's when I went overseas and played on my own and I found exactly the same I realized I do do it differently. At what point did you start coaching? When I started playing hockey, because mm-hmm. people always ask me, how did you do that? So I kind of became a player and a coach at the same time, even as a young player, because I used to teach people what, you know, what I saw. But how did you know what you had that was different to enable you then to teach it? I just thought everyone saw what I saw. So I presumed you did. So I just taught you that skill. It was endless. How did you see that? Or how did you do that? And I was blase about it. I just thought, you know, it is just like that. And then when I went overseas and when other people started asking me who didn't even know me, then I realized I had something. And then I got selected for some international team and someone wrote me an email saying, congratulations, you're the only international hockey player I've ever seen that doesn't run on the field. We ran like crazy when you played South Africa because we just got back into international. Mm. So we were competing really, really strenuously in that regard. But um, and then I realized maybe... I do see different, and I, I actually stopped playing international hockey, and I approached Tim Noakes, and I said, this is what I think. And what did he say to you? I mean, Tim Noakes, you, you come to him and you say, I've got this idea that I've got something special, and I need to get an academic study behind me to give myself some gravitas, some global mm. credibility. And he said, well, I don't know what exactly what it is that you do, mm. but I can tell you how to research it. Yeah. And that's what he said yeah. to you on the path to yeah. me. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. But you teach me, and I'll teach you how to research. And we started on our journey. So, um, How do you research something that's never been researched before? Because traditionally, people who do PhDs add to a pool of existing knowledge. You didn't have that pool yeah. to build on. So it was tough. People thought I was crazy. You know, I, At the same time, I asked if they would give me an office at Sports Science, which then opened up as well. And they just said, this, this woman's crazy. You know, so... <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. How do you then go from crazy to acceptance? Sure, proof is there, but you've got to have some very willing participants. Who were your early guinea pigs that said, I'm looking for this advantage. I believe you may be onto something because you show exceptional skill. Mm. I just had an office at Sports Science, a chair and a desk really, and one of the first teams that came in was Bafana Bafana. And they were that 96 uh, team. That oh, the, okay. I just want to check. That was then. Yes. All right. Yes. 96, <laughs> they won the African Nations. Yes. Uh, Clive Barker was the coach. And um, there were some great players in that team. Shoes, Michelle, 
Uh, Brendan Augustine, I did quite a lot of work with a lot of other guys. So um, they were one of the, the early believers. And then I had Surrey Cricket, actually, that came in. And they just said, what are you doing? And I explained I was at Sports Science, and they flew me over to England. And that was kind of the start of it all. And um, soon after that, having worked with Surrey, I worked with Pakistan Cricket. So here I was, this woman alone, flying over to Pakistan to go work with Pakistan. And that team were the greats of Wazim Akram, Waka Yunus, Said Anwar. I hope know. you've got autographs because <sighs> you didn't because no. it was just a job. <laughs> I, I don't like asking, but I mean, uh, I, I didn't have, I don't have any photographs um, from that time. Um, I have memories, so yeah. they cool. My kids don't believe I met Nelson Mandela several times because yeah. I didn't have a camera. Oh the my 90s. goodness! Okay. Yeah. I did that at least. Well, someone did it for me, so it was all right. I've watched videos of you training people, and it's like primary school catching practice, or it, it's it's elementary stuff. You're mm. teaching; it's repetition, and you're and you're doing lots of repetition. You've got people standing at boards and pulling things off boards and putting mm. things in pigeonholes. Almost, it strikes me as somebody might feel a bit silly doing stuff that they kind of think they know already. Yeah. I obviously designed iGym, a software program. Out of doing all that manual work, I realised early days I worked with two teams I worked with England Rugby Australia Cricket and New Worlds Apart and I quickly realised I needed to create a training programme and then I realised it needed to be online because I needed to monitor players so the early early 2000s I was already creating those training programmes but then I realised I need to create a programme where a player never knows what is coming and when you don't know what's coming then you really train at a level which is unexpected really Explain the science of what it is, the thing that you knew you had that you couldn't really explain to Tim Noakes that you then researched in order to give yourself the credibility to then turn into a business. So most people think it's, uh, I talk about vision, Uh, people think it's eyesight, so the ability to see something clearly. And I quickly had to explain it's got nothing to do with sight. So I work with guys with one eye, I work with guys with bad eyesight, and I work with guys with good eyesight, doesn't really matter. But I improve the ability to take information in, and that what we spoke about earlier, the ability to see something early, you can actually train that. I then at that time worked on, on the motor response, you know, how the body, how the hand reacts or the foot reacts or, or whatever. And then in 2003, while I was working for England Rugby, I said to Clive Woodward in the early preparation early 2003 that I think the difference at this World Cup would be the team that makes the most effective decisions on the field and that I thought I had a way of training it. So then I created a software program which didn't only train picking up information early and then responding to it, you know, some motor response, eye-hand coordination people talk about, but the ability to process information quickly and make a decision under pressure. We watch great sports people play and you go, boy, they're coordinated. Yeah. But it's so much more because your brain's got to be able to process information at the speed of light. And to help you make that decision, you can be physically capable. Yeah. But if there's no connection between your eye, your brain yeah. and your hands or feet, yeah. you're, you're going to be like me. The interesting thing is the uh, within one second with me looking at something, the brain takes in about 1.07 gigs of information. And the important thing, we can all do that, but how do you decipher what is important? And that's really what, what we train. So Brian Habana comes to see you before that fateful 2007 Argentina game that gets South yeah. Africa against England and South Africa wins the World Cup. What did you teach Brian Habana? Initially, I trained his skills to respond to the unexpected. 
because they're professional rugby players. They can all catch a ball under normal conditions, under normal play, run, etc. But to do it under abnormal conditions and under pressure makes a huge difference. So with, with the banner, we just made sure that his skill level was up to standard. So his hands were good, his feet were good, etc. But we also made sure that he could read the play. And it's, it's actually vision that allows you to read the play. So you need to be scanning, looking in the right areas. You need to take that information in, decipher what's important, what's not important. So you could read the play, you could see what was happening. But then he needed quick hands, quick eyes and, you know, quick feet to be able to be at the right time at the right place to intercept. So Cheryl Calder, is there a corporate application to all of this? It's all well and good and we love watching the sports people perform at their best and getting an advantage. But in the business world, does iGym have a fit? It does, absolutely. So working with Valtteri Bottas, we realized that we influenced driving skills. Out of that, we did some research on truckers on the, on the N1 and found out that they make better decisions, which leads to less accidents. And then we do work with Discovery Insure. And within eight months of drivers being on iGym, we brought down their loss ratio and claims between 20 and 25%. But it's really simple, again, if you see quickly enough and you see in your peripheral and you judge better and you make a decision more effectively, you're going to prevent accidents. And accidents means money, means claiming. And um, so there's a a big application. Um, They are for executives as well because they need to think on their feet as much as Brian Abana does. No, hold on a second. Mm. So, I mean, the corporate ladder traditionally is very greasy and slippery, and the higher you go up, the more greasy and slippery it gets, and you've got to be a dab hand with a stiletto blade to stick between your next competitor's ribs. You don't need to get blood in your hands anymore. You can get a corporate advantage by seeing things differently. You can. Seriously, this is the first time I look incredulous. (laughs) If you take information in more effectively and you process it better, you come to a better decision. And, I mean, these executives have to make crucial decisions on their feet all the time, sitting in a board meeting. They've got to scroll through tons of reading. You can do that way more effectively because if your eyes and brain giving back information works more effectively, you do things in a shorter time and you do them better. It makes sense. You're just more productive. How dissimilar is the training for Brian Habana versus the chief executive of a large company? Well, other than working on the field with Brian Abana, the iGym training program is what Brian was famous for doing. They do exactly the same. But we we would make it bespoke to whatever the needs are of the individual. And there are certain skills that these executives need. Do they ever train to be better at their job? Everyone can get better at what they do. We're famous for working with sportsmen, so um, people don't talk much about that. But those decisions are as crucial as Brian Abana intercepting. And of course, out of that, we worked with young elite sportsmen and we work with young kids and we improve their cognitive skills, teach them to read better, give information better. And then, you know, it's this crazy world which executives are in today, which I call digital decline. Using smartphones, we were never designed to do that. I know it's part of life, we use them, but we need to find some kind of antidote. So the decline in your eye brain skills, decision making skills is being affected by using digital too much. Do executives use smartphones? Of course they do. Do sportsmen do it? Yes. Do young kids do it? Yes, they do. It's not what we should be doing. It's causing a decline in in a lot of skills 
and we need to find ways of of countering that. Does this have an everyday practical application to people with two left feet and two left hands? Can they improve <coughs> their performance even though they don't have these supreme levels of skill? Yeah, if you compare it like a fitness system. So if you are at a certain level of fitness and I train certain skills, you get better. Now exactly same with, with iGym. If you on a certain level and I train you up, you're going to be better at what you do. It doesn't matter what you're involved in if you're social golfer or social tennis player and we do a lot of that work and we have fantastic results from people and like exercise and like financial planning and all of these other things i suppose you've got to keep up your training because you can't just sort of go online and click 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 and go yep i can see where the little dot's going to move next yeah if you yeah. stop doing it you lose your fitness the nice thing about the visual brain decision making system is that we use it all the time. You know, if you, you walk out here and you drive your car, you've got to be using those skills. A fitness system, you know, a cardio or something, you actually got to get out and go and run or get on the treadmill or do something like that. The visual motor system you're using all the time. So you maintain a level of fitness, but I always say to the, the elite sportsman, that little crust at the top, which is that extra bit of training that we do, that that's the great and the greatest. That's the difference between that. So you need to train that ability to be able to perform at that level. But something like motor racing, for example, is not something you would assume can benefit from this. These guys are moving at probably near 100 meters a second. They have to make split-second decisions. You would think that in the cockpit of that motor car, where there is the roar of an engine, rubber flying all over the place, corners coming up, gauges to look at, people talking to you in your ear from the pits, that there are a 100 split-second decisions you're making every minute. We do work with Valtteri Bottas. And the big thing he always tells us is that everything is slow motion for him. So because his eyes see so quick and his brain processes so quickly, that everything is slow-mo, is like normal for him, and that's why he's able to respond respond accordingly. And has that changed since you trained him? Yes. Or does he have a natural ability to slow things down in no, his own brain? No, it's it's from the training. Because he had, a, he had a period where he didn't train when he'd just gone from Williams to Mercedes and it was really crazy time for him. So he didn't do Arjun for a very short period and came back and asked us, please, can you get on? And he says, immediately, can feel the difference. How did you get global acceptance for what people must have thought in the beginning was crackpot science? It's been a long road, so it doesn't sound as glamorous and easy as, as what it is. I mean, my early days when I played hockey in Europe were really tough. You know, I used to, in the middle of winter, ride on a bicycle and... I worked in coffee shops, um, I cleaned dog cages, I did all those tough things, you know, and that builds a little bit of resilience, which I definitely needed in this world because I proposed a new science, and new ways of trading, and as I said, people just told me, you know, she's a crazy woman, but it didn't really bother me because I knew that it worked for me because I proved it on the field. I did my research and I proved it there, and I've worked with some of the most elite, and it worked there. And so I've got all these testimonials and credentials. People still doubt, um, but it doesn't matter. The proof is there. Um, I have some of the, the best guys in the world who have done it, from bolts to F1 driving, you know. So from real extremes, I've done curling. I've done all these amazing sports, and it's worked for everyone. Taking a concept like that from a place like South Africa and marketing it globally and getting the traction that you have got globally is something that many South Africans dream about. Mm -hmm. Take me on a path, that journey of global acceptance for an idea which is international, 
but locally based. So they always ask, is it researched? Which I could say yes. Do I think it works? I said, of course, it worked for me, and that's, that's why I researched it. I think getting it on a software training program and getting it online way before anyone else thought about training like that, I think that was probably 20, 30 years ahead of time. So that was an edge in its own. But that just happened by the nature of the demands of players and teams and, you know, wherever I traveled. And I really, I learn new stuff every day. So I work with, with you, Bruce, and you teach me something. And I work with Valtteri Bortis, and he teaches me something. And whenever I learn something new, I apply that into the software program, into the science. So everything I've learned over 20, 30 years is all in one program. And that program has an extensive database of about 100,000 elite athletes with information which I can draw anything out of that and find out about any athlete or any player that I've worked with and create any kind of training program for whatever level that you train on. So I just think it's just been per chance, but also probably consciously knowing what it takes to to be better and then applying that into into the science. If you were watching, I don't know, say Serena Williams, for example, mm-hmm. and you were watching her struggle in the quarterfinals, mm-hmm. have you ever picked up the phone to an athlete like that to say, I see where you're going wrong? No, I actually haven't. Because then you could place bets at the bookies and, oh, and make no, a killing. No, I, I, I could have made a lot of money already. Um, <laughs> I've predicted a couple of stuff. I wouldn't even know how to put money on, but uh, You'd be I, I can pick it up. a sports betting person to have on your side and tell who's going to lose. It's actually scary for me. I actually avoid people closer to game time because people always ask me what I think is going to happen. For the World Cup in 03, I said in the May of 03 that England would win the World Cup and I predicted exactly how it would run. It's just I see things differently, as simple as that. I see what people do and I see how they behave and I see how they perform and I just know... Turning this into a business then and getting the global acceptance and then scaling the business because this is all about you. It's all your intellectual property. Mm. It is based on your personal learnings. Mm. Have you managed to systematize it and create teams of people? Uh, Gary Player, for example, the Gary Player company designs golf courses around the world. He has oversight but doesn't design them himself. Does Cheryl Calder do that? We're in the process and we've obviously been approached quite a few times, you know, by entrepreneurs who want to promote the product and so on, which I'm really open to. End of the day, it remains a science. So that's the basis of what we do. Everything that I know that's in my head is in the software program. So it's really scalable and it's the user experience has been improved so much that it's like your own personal trainer that you can have anywhere you are in the world. We are looking to obviously put it into a global business, which we've done purely by word of mouth. We have some steps in place to do that. It's all in the results. If the research didn't prove it, surely, I mean, I look at the long list of clients that you worked with. I mean, just the MTN Quebec cycling team, which has been very successful, Brandon Grace and Charles Swatzel, amongst the golfers that you've worked with, England rugby repeatedly, the 1996 Bafana Bafana, yeah, they never invited you back. Cause I'm, be- I'm beginning to see where Bafana Bafana has been going wrong for 20 years. No, not yet. I'm sure they will. Bafana Bafana, if you're listening. <laughs> Dr. Cheryl Calder, today's solutionist thinker, seeing things the way nobody else does and finding an opportunity to create not only a product, but a globally relevant business. Dr. Cheryl Calder, a long way from Bloemfontein. R&B, solutionist thinking. For more in this series, visit 702.co.za.